This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. You're listening to The Advisory Board. Whether you're just starting out or figuring out your next stage of growth, we are here to lend a helping hand. I'm Megan Flamer. And I'm Alan Jones. We've been there before. Sure have. We've helped thousands of founders, CEOs, organisations all over the world take their lives and businesses to the next level. Mm-hmm. Several levels. <laughs> Each week, we are here to take on the real issues from entrepreneurs like you and show you how to win the day with kindness and a little tough love. A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So make sure you send us all of your questions to Instagram. Um, You can reach out to us on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, Alan and I mostly take, you know, personal requests like song requests also. (laughs) Or you can reach out to us on disrupt.radio. This is The Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. Not that Alan Jones. Hey, Alan. Hi, Megan. You have a theory about accelerator programs. Yes, we've been through, well, we've mentored and coached in a few accelerator programs. Just a few. Over the years. <laughs> and, uh, and a few years ago, it kind of struck me how similar an accelerator program is to a reality TV show. Oh. You know, so first of all, there's the application stage, so you might get 500 applications or 750 applications for only, say, 10 places in a program. Yeah. So you'll see people applying with, you know, all sorts of strategies. You know, I'm going to be this kind of archetype and I'm going to present my startup as as this kind of opportunity for the accelerator program. So when you're looking at at all all the applicants, there's, there's not just people just saying, oh, yeah, I'm a founder and here's my startup. There's quite a bit of effort goes into that application phase. Then there'll be an interview phase and there'll be some broken hearts as a lot of people miss out on a place. And so many interviews. It's so hard to sit through all of those interviews and just bring the same amount of energy yeah. and, like, neutrality to all of them. Yeah. So so if you're one of those 10 people or one of those 10 startups that get chosen for the program, the first thing you do is, is if, you, if you're chosen, you go out to your network, you go out to your friends and your family and your colleagues and your, your ex-boss and your ex you know, workmates at the bank where you used to work before you became a startup founder. Look, 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 I'm going to do this accelerator program. Isn't this is exciting? And then it gets hard yeah. um, because like a reality <laughs> television show, um, an accelerator program doesn't just you know, let you continue on as before. It kind of takes over your life. There's a fixed beginning date and there's a fixed end date. And everybody knows that at the end date, everybody's attention, everybody's excitement is going to be on of the 10, maybe two or three or four of what the audience believes to be the most successful teams. And unlike a reality TV show, on an accelerator program, the audience are potential co-founders, investors, potential customers. So, so, so it's, a really, it's really an audience that you care about. So there's usually a point somewhere in an accelerator program when shit gets real and founders go, oh, man. Oh, so I have to actually do this. I actually have to do this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, it's, and it's not, oh, I'm just going to do, I'm going to spend the next 12 weeks doing whatever I want. Like there's a, there's a curriculum. This week we're going to try and do an R&B and soul number, you know, <laughs> and the next week it's going to be a disco number, you know. So startup accelerator programs about taking people away from the things that they know how to do already and forcing them to learn how to do a thing that, A, they've shied away from doing all this time, and B, that they never really thought they'd have to learn. You know, I'm here, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a software engineer or, or, or I'm a legal expert, you know, but, but I'm not a salesperson. I don't want to go and talk to customers. Why do That's I have scary. to do pitch practice every week? Oh, and I think no. we're going to talk about that a little bit. We get a lot of letters from people asking about accelerator programs, and I think that's because 
man, we have we have done accelerate programs. We've both been entrepreneurs in residence. Yeah. We've done loads of programs as pitch coaches and mentors and all of those things and run full accelerator programs. So I think a lot of the time I personally will get a lot of letters with people saying, you know, how do I get in? What yeah. is a good application? What do you want to see? That sort of thing. But this next letter really, it actually tugged at my heartstrings a little bit. Yeah, me too. So hopefully we can, we can help them. Dear Advisory Board, my founders and I have been applying for accelerator programs all over Australia and we've never gotten in. And we've applied to all of them. We have continued growth, we're a solid team and we've been going for a couple of years. We've finally been asked to join a boot camp and we desperately want to perform well so we can take our business to the next level and get into the main accelerator. How can we put our best foot forward and make sure that we don't miss out again from always the bridesmaids? (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, I think it's really important to say, hey, look, thanks for writing in and asking about this because I think for you know, every one founder that, that writes in to ask or to asks anybody for advice about how to get into an accelerator program, there must be 50, 75, 100 startups mm. too shy to ask or haven't thought that through or just think, you know, we are awesome. We're going to rule the world one day. And so, of course, this accelerator program will accept us. So, like, asking for advice is free and it's the best thing you can do. It's a good sign. Yes, and especially advice for a particular program as well. Like, you know, I feel a little bit like a financial advisor here, which I am not. Alan now is, which is very exciting. Um, But any advice on this program is general and please do consult your health professional before you do anything drastic. (laughs) But for accelerator programs as well, I think there are a lot of pieces that you can do well, but ultimately they're only usually taking very few places in Mm. each cohort. And a lot of accelerator programs have a very particular niche or a very particular flavour that they're looking for. Mm. You know, I've been on so many selection panels. I've designed selection panels. One of the things we look for is complementary founders, you know, either at stage or having a mix of stages, you know, working across hardware, software, you know, other types of businesses so that you can bring together a good group of people that you think will also gel together. Yeah. Because cohort harmony is also a really important piece. Absolutely. So, so let's, let's break it down a little bit. So, so some program operators will have a, have a boot camp, which will be a short thing. It's designed to help people do a better job of being ready to apply for the full accelerator program. And then accelerator program operators are generally kind of fall into a couple of categories. So there will be general accelerator programs where it's just about new startup businesses. And then there might be specific ones focused on, a, on an industry vertical like like health tech or, or uh, deep tech. And, uh, and, and then there'll be some that are attached to government departments or organizations like CSIRO's on Accelerator. Mm. There'll be others, like the awesome one that you're running at Monash University there, specifically for, for startups that are coming from the campus itself, its staff, its alumni, its students. And then there'll be other um, broad industry-focused ones which are kind of servicing the needs of angel investors and, and the venture capital industry for, for new high-quality talent to invest in and programs like Startmate are, are a good example of that. So if you're applying for all the accelerator programs, you're getting good practice. You know, Hopefully you're getting some <laughs> feedback on your application process going, but you're probably not being specific enough. You're probably not putting enough effort into the right programs that are ideal for you. It might be better to, to narrow your funnel. But anyway, you're now... 
in a boot camp, that's awesome. So you're kind of past the, the first phase. Um, you're, you're on Australian Startup Idol now. And, <laughs> and the Choose goal is to make song. it through. Yeah, yeah. Goal yeah. is to make it through to the end of the season and, 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 and win the audience's hearts. Yeah. And I think that's also important. You know, if you're listening and you're not applying for accelerator programs, for example, I think you can apply a lot of this advice to applying for anything, really, a job or a particular yeah. project or even grant applications. You know, when you're looking at how you're applying for something, one of the most common mistakes I see is that you're making it all about you. You know, it is about putting your best foot forward, but ultimately it is a marketing play Mm. as well. So you've got to think about who your audience is and how you're tailoring yourself, your experience, why they should say yes to you, which is quite different from, hey, I'm freaking great and coming in with all that bravado, which we often see, especially with young male uh, founders coming through who, you know, will sometimes do a follow-up if they don't get in to say, you're an idiot and you just missed the boat. And Absolutely. Like, Thank you for your feedback, sir. I, I appreciate it. I once had somebody in an interview say, well, actually, you're asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, okay, thank you. you know. <laughs> Noted. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, I think that's a really important point. So, so um, uh, complementary, um, you know, expertise or, or, or um, you know, obvious missing gaps in perhaps a team's commercialization experience or, or, you know, perhaps not knowing anything about raising capital or perhaps missing a few key team hires, then an accelerator program might be able to help you prepare to hire. So, so interview committees will look for that. Another thing that they'll look for, though, is, is capacity and interest in learning, right? So... An accelerator program is called an accelerator program because it's going to challenge your natural rate of progress and make you go faster Mm. and work across a bunch of things that you don't want to do and you don't know how to do. And so that interest in being malleable and being prepared to do the difficult things and go to the uncomfortable places is, I think, probably the, the number one criteria for success in getting chosen for an accelerator program. The teams are coming to interview day and say, oh, we've got this sorted, it's locked. We know what we're going to do. It's going to be hugely successful. Are you in or, or are you out? Are definitely <laughs> not going to get chosen for the program. People yeah. are going to go for people. You know, I'm here to learn. And, you know, I know that I'm missing some key skills. And and I've set aside a lot of the rest of my life for the next three months so I can really focus on this and do a great job. Mm. The, the organizations, the investors, the back and accelerator program are looking for accelerated progress over time. That's the, the the primary criteria for getting chosen. Yes, and I, I completely agree on the people who are open-minded and open to doing it because, in my opinion, an accelerator program should always be really looking at the entire business, the entire team, but also your lives, how well you're being, how much sustainability you have in your health and wellness practices, whether Mm. or not you're in a good mindset, whether or not you're coping under pressure. Mm. I feel like a lot of programs, and I personally have been approached by hundreds of founders who are feeling like they can't be honest with the mentors that they have in their programs. And so they're approaching us to say, you know, I'm at breaking point. I literally don't know how I can do this. I can't sleep. I can't eat. That's not sustainable. That's not healthy. Mm. So 
I often ask questions around that as well to try and get a sense of, you know, how open someone might be to having a look at all of the elements of their lives and also that humility, you know, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. Alan may know everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, nobody knows everything. So being able to come in and be in a classroom and be an inquiry and be curious about what they can learn, how they can grow, because that's when you can surprise and delight customers, you can surprise and delight your family, you can learn to be great in the face of a really difficult, stressful period of your yeah. life. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in an accelerator program with a boot camp, I know another thing that you also look for as well is, is evidence of cooperation. Oh, so yeah. teams that help other teams, mm-hmm. founders that help other founders. You've got time to get through your own stuff and a little bit of time there to give back to the rest of the cohort. Accelerator program's going to love that because that's going to improve the performance of all the teams in that cohort. Yes. It's going to make their accelerator program look better. And, they, you know, everybody wants to help nice humans. Yeah. <laughs> a nice human. <clears throat> yeah. Help others. Yeah. And then also you create a cohort that year where you can be looking at, you know, oh, who did you use for your finances there? Like, you know, you can keep approaching your own cohort and the alumni of the program who can help each other. That's the startup ecosystem effect as well. And that's also why I think it's important within the ecosystem that there is more sharing, there's more generosity. We're a tiny ecosystem that wants to grow. The opportunity is for all of us to be helping each other, not gatekeeping. Totally, totally. So if you're working on a really, really deep, difficult scientific problem and and machine learning and AI, and it might be three or four years before you can show very much visible progress, perhaps the right time for you to apply to an accelerator program is is just on the cusp of about to begin that progress. Mm. So the people evaluating your application look at you and go, okay, right now they're ready to accelerate. We can put them into an accelerator program. If you want to spend three months in an accelerator program, not really making very much external, obvious visual process in terms of customer or revenue or, or, or product growth, then perhaps an accelerator program isn't isn't the right thing for you right now. Mm. The other thing that we haven't said, and always the bridesmaids, you know, I, I really hear your frustration in mm-hmm. having applied for so many programs and not getting in anywhere. And it is really exciting that you've been asked to join the boot camp. But I also think sometimes accelerator programs can be overrated. And I say that as someone who has run many of them. I I think it can be overrated when we think that that's the only way to go forward. And the ecosystem, you know, when I first moved back from San Francisco, it was in a different place. There wasn't as much going on. I feel like that's grown a lot. I feel like in a lot of ways COVID and lockdowns made the world smaller, so there's a lot more, you know, access to programs in different countries and overseas as well. But also there is a lot of opportunity to learn and grow and develop and connect with other founders to get a lot of the experience and expertise, you know, not the cohort experience as much and certainly not the funding and the the equity stuff. Um, Mm. There is, you know, a lot of opportunity to get all of that even if you're not in a program. And so it's also worth looking at, you know, the amazing free events that are on, the speakers that you can see, approaching someone who's tried to do something either similar or in a complimentary vein to what you've been trying to do. There's a radio show, I think, about (laughs) startups now you can listen to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that information leaks out of accelerator programs into the rest of the community. A lot of that expertise does as well. Um, And uh, another great way to improve your chances of getting into an accelerator program is start to build relationships with alumni 
mm. people who've been through the program. You'll find some people that hated it. You'll find some yeah. other people who said, oh, yeah, you know, it was good, but it didn't really make much of a difference for us. Yes. But then you'll find other people who will say, you know, this is what I learned. This is what you should skip. Yes. And, uh, and, and this is what you should watch out for in, in, in the terms of the program. And, and, uh, and these are the mentors that, who really helped me the most. And, and these were the investors that wasted our time. And so absolutely, like, reach out to the rest of the community, not just because you want to get into the program, but whether you're successful or, un- or unsuccessful, those experts yes. are still out there in the field. Yes. And reputation and kindness matters a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think the other thing that, you know, we would look at is accelerator hopping because mm. I've seen that more in Australia than I've seen it anywhere else. In my opinion, ultimately, you're trying to build a sustainable business and you want something that is going to grow. And I know that investment definitely helps with that in or out of an accelerator program. But beware the temptation to think that the accelerator program is the badge or the PhD or the, you know, the tick of approval that Mm. says your business is legitimate or valuable or the right thing. Because I think ultimately you want to be looking at building a sustainable business, building something that's going to last, that's going to make money, that has growth. You don't have to have an accelerator program to make that happen. Yeah, and and maybe if you go through three accelerator programs in a row, <laughs> yeah. um, that may not be ultimately a very sustainable source of funding for the business. You, you run out of accelerator programs, and uh, you should instead be focusing on, on on making progress in the business rather than progress through a program. Yeah, and then you've given away a ton of equity, and potentially, you know, it's good growth potentially, but you know, it also shows. I think a bit of a lack of confidence in your product or in what you're doing and that you're needing an accelerator program to completely rely on that to build and grow and and get out there in the world. There are always exceptions to the rule, but yeah, I think an accelerator is not the be all and end all for having a successful business. Yeah. Yeah. Australian startup idol sometimes creates stars and, uh, and sometimes teaches people a lot of things, but there are a lot of ways to be successful in the startup music industry yeah. um, without going through a program. <laughs> All right. So if we're looking at applications and we're trying to figure out what, um, you know, a, a standout application would be. So, they, you know, they do the boot camp, they're applying for the, the actual program now. What makes a great application or pitch stand out? I think uh, a reference or, or a warm introduction from somebody who's already associated with the program is, is a great thing to see. So a couple of alumni that you've had a few coffees with who say good things about you, perhaps some of the mentors in the program and, and perhaps some of the people in the program itself, if they've already heard about you, I, I think that's a, a really good way forward. Another thing that I think really want to see is, is communication skills about the business, about the journey, about you as a founder. So accelerated programs are very public things. It is like Australian Startup Idol. <laughs> and so if there's no evidence that you're comfortable talking in a public sphere about your business and, and its future plans, then that's probably a big check mark against you. So invest in updating your your, your startup's uh, LinkedIn company page. Invest mm. in, in um, building a little bit of a following on Twitter and posting there regularly about what your startup's doing and the progress that it's making. Maybe you get started with a simple blog on Substack or, or Medium there where you're kind of tracking the progress of the business over time, and recording the questions that you're asking yourself about the business and then how you decide to find an answer to that question. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, mm-hmm. Alan. So I, I think that being able to pitch well is one of the 
great skills of, of founders. Um, but at that early stage, you know, if you are getting into an accelerator program and, you know, whether it is a super earlier program or later, I'm often not looking for the most polished presenter. I'm looking for the yeah. most authenticity. Yeah. And I'm also, like my dating life, looking for potential, you know, yeah. <laughs> like really trying to look for yeah. what might be there, you know, like how could we, um, how could we most help? You know, what are those gaps? How willing are they to share and be honest about what those gaps might be and how we could potentially, you know, shape that, move that. Pitch-wise, I feel like, yes, you can start out being someone who's terrible at presenting and you might be very nervous because you have a lot at stake and you really want to get in. Um, I've seen people who are not great pitchers uh, who have gone on to learn beautifully and, and done a fantastic job. You can polish and, and learn how to pitch well. Anyone can. For sure, yeah. I, I, I don't want people to be great already, but I do want people to be comfortable enough with starting to practice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Only give it a go, even though practice. I know I'm not ready. Yeah, like, of course. And I think that's why they're applying, right? They're willing yeah. to give it a go. They're ready to get in there. But, yeah, uh, the nerves and the inarticulation, you know, as long as they can understand it and answer questions. The Q&A for me is more important, um, you know, being able to answer those questions authentically and, and really – yeah, really engage with them, be thoughtful. And, you know, it's obviously good if they know the answers to them or they can honestly say, we don't actually know that. And that's one of the things we want to come into the program to to figure out. We'd love some help with it. I think that's always a pretty powerful answer. Does it need to be a tech startup? No. Well, it, again, it depends on the program, mm. right? So it could be, you know, the Monash Accelerator, for example, was looking for any any company, any business idea that could be taken from, you know, where it was to to somewhere bigger and somewhere mm-hmm. better and, and somewhere greater. So, you know, m- most companies these days have some kind of, you know, even if it's a, a physical product like Delicious Pickles, for example, mm-hmm. shout out to to the amazing team of Liza and James. Yeah. Um, you know, even if it's a, a physical pickle, you're still dealing with logistics, you're dealing with tech, you're dealing with e-commerce. So, you know, it does still have tech elements to it. There are a lot more startup, uh, sorry, a lot more hardware startups yeah. that are coming through now as well and, and going through Syro and, and, you know, various other programs as well. We're also seeing a lot of med tech yeah. possibilities as well. So, you know, I think there's a, a pretty broad range of, of bits and pieces now. The definition of what is a startup and what is a small business is, you know, always in, in a bit of, you know, it doesn't have to be a SaaS startup yeah. run by two college dropouts who no. happen to be wearing hoodies. Yeah. But yeah, but but the program will be looking for for new businesses or early businesses that have the potential to accelerate. Mm. To accelerate the rate of progress, their growth. Yes. You know, innovate quickly. And innovation sometimes happens on, on a whiteboard or in a Gantt chart, um, as much as it does in software or in hardware. Yes. So do you, you know, if you're looking for someone who is great, and I think this is something that, say, Tractor Ventures is starting to really, um, you know, they're looking at slow, unsexy growth a lot yeah. of the time. Shout you out know, to Gaz Williams. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just sustained growth over time, you know, that it doesn't have to look like a 10x. Where do you sit on that spectrum? Yeah, so, so that, that's a, a particular kind of, of, uh, of, of funding for startups, revenue-based funding where, you know, if, if a startup is able to show the investor that there is 
predictable growth over time rather than exponential growth mm-hmm. with, with really unexpected jaggedy bits in it, um, then revenue-based um, investment is is uh, an interesting, attractive alternative. What you're basically doing is you you're you're borrowing amounts of money based on on your your revenue over time and 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 its growth, and then paying. Um, interest back on based on, on on those loans based on that revenue. So a share of your profit or a share of your revenue goes back to the investor. I think it's a it's a, a really important part of the ecosystem because generally it means um, there's there's less or no equity involved. Mm. Um, the the challenge though is is you know uh, that's often three to five years away for for startups when they first start signing customers and, and earning revenues. You're typically talking, you know, maybe doing at least 50k a month recurring revenue predictably over over, you know, perhaps in that case at, at the 50k level, perhaps 12 or 18 months, with ideally, you know, growth three to five percent month on month, fairly predictably after that. So it can take quite a while to to get a business up up to that level of growth, depending on what you're selling and and to whom. Um, the the thing I think that that concerns the most is is that growth over time, but then also how lumpy that growth is. You know, if there's a couple of quarters or a couple of months where you lose a key person or or a big corporate client, and suddenly there's a big gap in the revenue there for a couple of months, that may disqualify you from from that kind of funding. Mm, yeah, and do you get more excited about those ones or about the exponential growth ones? Um, I get excited about them all. I get excited about the people, and and because I'm a tech nerd, often I get just excited about the how the technology works and how it's being applied to to a new thing. Yeah, I I, I would agree. It's always about the people for me because I feel like I've had a lot of people come through applying for an accelerator program maybe have been unsuccessful, but have gone back into the ecosystem, found a new co-founder, found a new idea. Mm. You know, we've shown that over time the most successful founders are the ones who are doing, you know, multiple startups. You know, they've gone back into the pool and they've gone back into, you know, exploring a new idea and then have shown that they can execute on it better further down the track. Absolutely, absolutely. For most of us it won't be our first or or even our fifth (laughs) or in some cases our tenth. Um, there's there's a delicate balance there between you know how far you pursue the idea um, before you you decide to to switch to something else though. So don't be one of those people who's just going, um, you know, um, uh, uh, lean business plan after lean business plan and just scratching through those those businesses so that every time you meet somebody for a coffee, oh yeah, no, no I'm doing something completely different now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's like, hang on a minute, didn't we meet two weeks ago? Yeah. All right, so we want authenticity. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to obviously articulate well what your idea is, what your growth is, but also be honest about where it's at. Be um, coachable. Be coachable. There's a no jerk policy for most accelerator programs. So I would say no dickheads. But no sure. dickheads, no yeah. jerks. Just don't be either, I think. Yeah. Be a kind and excellent human being mm. who is prepared to collaborate and help other people as well as be helped and be coached. You've got to be coachable. What and else? and be ready to accelerate, right? They're called accelerator programs for a reason. So yeah. don't, you know, make it clear to everybody that you're here to grow faster and take on the challenging things. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people applying for very few places in the cohort. So if you are taking a place, 
be ready to step in and manage your life and move mm. things out of the way if you need to so that you can be fully in the program. Take advantage of the opportunity because, as you've heard with always the bridesmaids, you know, there are people who are champing to get into these programs and who really want that opportunity. So, you know, if you're in it, grab it with both hands and, and make the most of it. Yeah. See you at Demo Day. <laughs> See you all at Demo Day. Alan, if you have something that you want to learn, mm-hmm. you know, want to kind of deep dive into some new topic or something, <laughs> how do you start? Oh, I go to the radio right away. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless promotion. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll often, I'll, uh, I'll do a search for something, you know, I used to go and Search on, on Google these days, about 50% of the time I, I go to an AI like ChatGPT and ask the GPT for a bit of a summary there. Mm-hmm. Um, and often I end up on Wikipedia. I often go searching for stuff on Wikipedia and, and then uh, that'll lead me to industry blogs and, and podcasts and, and uh, deep I go into my diving. Yes, it's usually you? it's usually a late night scroll. I think yeah, you know, I like want to go to sleep. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, but why did that happen? And wait, he married her, and then the Prussian War. And- yeah, <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was the father of her. And then oh, and that was da 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 da. And they were all, and Zeus was the father of them all. And that's like- <laughs> how we got alternating current. <laughs> yeah, it's true though, isn't it? The internet is such an amazing resource for all of this stuff. Like I can remember back in the day, um, you know, my grandparents had a full set of Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, yeah, Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, like yeah, we in had one of those. Books. <laughs> yeah. I used to be the editor of a print magazine. What? Imagine that. Before the internet, if if a business or a government department wanted to buy a whole bunch of computer technology so that people could stop, you know, using a typewriter. You had to read a computer magazine to get it, and I was, I was, I was the editor of that. You know, I was the person that told you what brand and what sort of specifications, and it was fantastic because I used to get flown over to Silicon Valley all the time to go and attend product launches and expos and interview key executives and things. And then the internet came along and took all my wonderful perks and, and junkets <laughs> away. I had so many freaking flyer miles. Oh man! Oh yeah, picked me up a limo miles. at the airport. And That's so good. I was like twenty five. Had no idea how good I had it. Yeah. See, this is the thing. We never know until it's gone. But you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica, sort of the physical book of it. You know, where you'd go and pull out. You know. A to B, Mm. and you'd go and search and you'd deep dive and then you'd cross-reference it with something else and you start compiling knowledge in a different way or, you know, Mm. making little notes and, you know, making physical notes as well. You know, Mm. remember remember notebooks and like those little sticky tabs and I'm a sucker for stationery but I don't really use it anymore. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's all on my Apple Watch. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is. And we've got all this data to draw from, but it's also a piece of overwhelm, isn't it? Because you would have all of this different information all over the place. It's sometimes hard to know who to trust, you know, which sources you should be using, how you can put that together. And so it can be tricky to know how to how to pull all of that information together so that you can actually do something with it as well. Especially early in the hype cycle where everybody's trying to persuade you that it's already here and actually it's probably a couple of years or maybe never yeah. Coming, you know? yeah, you've already missed the boat on blockchain, Bitcoin, <laughs> ChatGPT, <laughs> generative AI. This, this is the Advisory Board with Megan Flamer and Alan Jones. Thanks for being with us. You're on Disrupt.radio and live on DAV Plus. 
You're with the advisory board with me, Megan Flamer. And me, Alan Jones. Our letter for today. Hi, advisory board. I'm working in the startup industry in Canberra in a junior engineering role. I'm fascinated by emerging technologies like generative AI, blockchain and NFTs and their potential applications for startups. How can I use my fascination with some of these technologies to build a successful startup as a founder? Are there any specific use cases or best practices that you can share? Thanks, Geek Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Geek Boy. And from a fellow Geek Boy, I want to thank you for for writing and being so honest about your aspirations and, and, and your passions. Look, a generative AI, blockchain and NFTs are three very different fields of, of the technology <laughs> industry you know and and I have a high level of, of interest in in all of those three things but mostly for the most part at a fairly high level and it's not like I don't want to go deeper um, mm-hmm. but we've all only got 18 waking hours in a day depending how many coffees we have and <laughs> and so you know we can spend a long time wandering and, and drilling down and going deep and uh, we may not necessarily be getting any closer to um, a useful career or commercial application of, of any of these interests of ours. So, you know, perhaps um, one way to, to look at this is, is to say, you know, for the, I've got a job as a software engineer in a startup. I'm, I'm going to focus on, on my job day to day, nine to five or 18 hours a day. And then in my recreational time, you know, instead of watching um, s- streaming TV, um, I'm, you know, I'm going to learn more about these technologies, not necessarily as a customer of them, but perhaps you know, learning how to become a practitioner in in some of these dark arts. Mm. Because trying to find commercial applications for the technology themselves is is not really a viable game for for an individual. It's usually much better suited to a large, well-backed research organization, for instance, like a CSIRO or a DARPA, you know, those those large research organizations have a long time frame. So my favorite example of this is, is WD-40, <laughs> the uh, the lubricant spray. You know, we've all used it on a sticky zipper at one time or another. And uh, and, and many of us will know that the reason why it's called WD-40 is, is that it was actually the, the 40th uh, uh, experiment that they tried, the 40th combination of, of, of weird shit um, <laughs> to try and make a lubricant, right? So... Um, 40 experiments, 40, 40 completely different chemical um, um, makeups might take a research lab, you know, five years, 10 years to get to. In, in, in the case of WD-40, um, it actually took them eight years, right? So um, unless you, you're very well equipped in your little home chemistry lab, you may not have the, the resources or the time or the money to really have much chance of, of getting a novel and commercially valuable application of a new technology um, to market yourself. Mm. That doesn't mean you can't go and work for one of those organisations. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's also Geek Boy is kind of asking that, you know, they're fascinated by the technology. So I would say go wholeheartedly into that, you know, be attending talks. Like there's so much amazing, you know, information on the on the interwebs you know there are webinars constantly um sam altman just came out to australia you know talking about all of this and you know there's there's so many people talking about it and and maybe being 
a little over knowledgeable <laughs> about what's actually possible with it at this moment. But I do think as well that there are a lot of ways that you can be involved in this community, get excited about it. Mm. You know, again, you are saying generative AI, blockchain, NFTs, potential applications for it. You know, you could talk to people who are already doing startups in these areas mm. and and be going and potentially, you know, interviewing with people who are interested in those areas. Ultimately, with a startup, and if you are looking at building a successful startup as a founder, I always like to start with that old trope of what are you actually trying to solve? Yep. You know, starting at the other end of it, that it's not just starting something just to start something in the blockchain sphere, that you're actually trying to give an application to this thing. So I'd also be examining, like, what things are important to you, Geek Boy? Like, what what problems in the world do you want to solve? What are you excited and passionate about? How do you want to approach your working life? Asking those bigger and wider questions as well, I think, can be really powerful in informing you of the kind of business or startup that you might be interested in. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. If, if, if you want to create a, a, a viable and potentially successful startup, the right end to start with is with the customer mm-hmm. and the problem that they face. Um, because... It, in in the whole technology industry and in the history of the technology industry, what happens is um, the first wave is people who are really excited about the applications of the blockchain, say, and they're out there trying to find useful commercial applications for the blockchain. Then mm. later on, blockchain just becomes part of the technology stack, and it's just a thing that you know people assume. Well, if we're keeping track of who owns fractional bits of things, mm-hmm. we'll probably use a black blockchain to do that. Mm. kind of thing right so you know back in the day i remember a time when online credit card processing was a big deal so that people could buy things from from online stores <laughs> um and so there are all these people running around with with online credit card technologies trying to find a commercial application and 99 percent of them fail but mm. the people who go okay i'm going to work on online stores what the people who want to buy something online need from an online store i'm going to see if i can build a solution to that problem and i'll use whatever technologies are required to make that happen, they have a much, much higher rate of, of success, you know, maybe double that of the people who are going, okay, I've got a blockchain. Let me see if I can find a customer <laughs> who needs one. That's so true. The usefulness of it is so important. I wonder as well, Geek Boy, you know, you did say that you're in Canberra and I have to admit I don't know that much about the Canberra startup ecosystem. I know a little. You know a little? Like mm-hmm. is it big? You know, I, I just... There's something in this letter that sounds to me that it's a little bit almost lonely, like he feels a little isolated. Yeah, so, so there's the awesome uh, Canberra Research um, Innovation Network, Seabrin, okay. um, which, which pulls together um, quite a, a, a community there and they have a physical space and a regular event program. So if I were in Canberra and, and, and in Greek boys' position, I'd, I'd be becoming a member of, of Seabrin and making sure that I got along there, that's where the community events are going to be happening. Right. Um, but if, if there isn't, you know, a, a little sub-committee of that community um, that's interested about the same set of technologies as you, go ahead and start your own. Mm. Because the, the thing about starting a community is, is it, kind of, it comes with some cachet, um, which maybe at first you perhaps don't necessarily entirely deserve. But if you're the person who pulls together the panel and, and there's three or four people on that panel who each know something really interesting about the technology that you're all fascinated about. Mm-hmm. And you're just the, you know, the host 
<laughs> then then you kind of some of that expertise and some of that sort of prestige rubs off on on you a little bit over time and so you can just be the convener of these events over time and, and you'll be perceived as you know one of the leaders one of the experts in in your community and in, in, in that geography that can be a, a a really great hack another way forward is to um, interview those people um, in, in a blog or, or a podcast or a, or a podcast or, or a radio show. Um, even if you don't feel like you're a great interviewer, you, you're curious, right? And, mm. and you have a passion for this. Um, so you know your, your, your spelling and your grammar may be all over the place. That's okay. You can use an AI for that. Um, <laughs> just get into you know ask the questions that, that you're excited about and see if you can find some people with some interesting answers. And ultimately, I think we're looking at that you're building a community of people who are excited about some of the similar things that you're excited about. And that might be a future co-founder. They might just be new friends, you know, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or generative AI or yoga, you know, you end up building a community of people who will support your dreams and your curiosity, help you find ways to connect into those communities and grow what you're trying to do and what you're trying to learn about. As a case study, um, I would highly recommend uh, going and Googling What the Health, mm. um, which is which is a health tech community um, founded here in, in Melbourne by the awesome Emily Casey. Um, she does an incredible job of bringing that community together, and she's been very transparent about the fact that she is not the expert, but she's here to help everybody learn from the people who are the experts. Yes, big fan of Emily Casey. Yes, shout out and (laughs) build communities and connect with people. It's a problem that we can all share and a way that we can all do something bigger than the sum of its parts. We love having you join us. Make sure you contribute your questions. If you've got a big burning question. Come at us. Yeah, let us know. You can reach out to either Alan or myself on LinkedIn or on Instagram or to disrupt.radio. You can tune in to us live between 11am and 1pm on DAB Plus or you can jump on disrupt.radio and listen to us anytime. We will be back very soon. Hi, I'm Nick Brax, host of Soul Trader on Disrupt Radio. I've been interviewing people who have achieved huge things in life and uncovering how they keep it together and how they survive the struggle to success. You can listen to all of my podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or whichever podcast you prefer. Just search Nick Brax, Soul Trader. When you finish binging all of my shows, be sure to check out the rest of the Disrupt Podcast Library, The Business Lounge, The Next Shift, Global Disruptors, The Advisory Board, and Conscious Capital. Maybe you own a business or an entrepreneur or just simply want to improve yourself. Disrupt Podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in to Opportunity. Disrupt Radio.